In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins. And the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we, we celebrate the Feast of St. John the Apostle and the Evangelist who wrote the, the fourth Gospel and who also wrote the, the Apocalypse or the Book of Revelation. And uh, today, as you can see, the, the veil is uh, white, not red as most of the apostles are, but all the other apostles were martyred, but not St. John, not St. John. As no doubt you know, he was a native of uh, Bethsaida, the town in Galilee, on the northern shore of the Lake of Tiberias, or, or the Sea of Tiberias. His parents were Zebedee, and Salome. And he had a brother, brother, also became an apostle, his name was James, James the Greater. And uh, they were normal folk, they were fishing folk, they were fairly well off, a family um, which did not hesitate to really put itself completely at the disposal, at the, sorry, avail themselves completely at uh, the disposition of Jesus when they met him first. And uh, both James and John responded to the call of Jesus together, brothers, brothers together responding to him. And their, their mother, Salome, also followed Jesus. She was with the other holy women. Uh, she provided from her means. She probably prepared food and other things. We don't hear much about her. We do. I mean, she does appear a few times. But she was also, of course, a great follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, she went from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. And uh, she even stood at the foot of the cross. That was the mother of St. John and, of course, St. James. John was very young when he met uh, Jesus. Very young. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know exactly. Maybe he was a teenager. But that encounter, that meeting with St. John, completely, completely changed his life. He became ever so faithful, and both he and his brother were, I would say that, they were men of great passion. And that's what we, we try to commemorate today, so that we too not be indifferent to following our, our Lord. Let this not just be an extra in, in our life, that we really, like John, James, Salome, and Zebedee, be men and women of real passion, that we understand the great value of uh, following our Lord, that, you know, that, you know, that we never accept uh, in any way uh, mediocrity. And I would say that they had this deep flair, this deep state of intensity about them. They, like they, they spoke with great intensity. Right? And uh, also a great 
willingness to go deep. I mean, John is known for going deep in his gospel, and the other is also a willingness to suffer to follow our Lord. And uh, it didn't matter if they suffered, if it was for the sake of the kingdom. It was for the sake of the kingdom. Definitely they were all, the whole family, and, and I think uh, certainly John as well, they were very zealous. But they were also open to learn, open to be corrected. And uh, this, this kind of openness led them on some occasion to react quite um, energetically, both James and John, against uh, those people who had rejected the Master, who had rejected Jesus. And, for example, Samaritans. Samaritans were another crowd that, that had decided that uh, the temple should not be in Jerusalem, that it should be elsewhere in Samaria. And they had certain conflicts with the Jews. And so, at one point, when James and John saw some Samaritans, they wanted to, they told them, let's, let's, let's rain down uh, thunder and lightning on these guys, right? That's what they asked. They want us to bid fire to come down from heaven to consume them. That they thought, yeah, we got to destroy these people, you know. And our Lord had to say, look, look, relax, guys, like, chill, you know. Let's not overdo it. And uh, they had not yet fully understood uh, the nature of Jesus' mission, what he really was all about, you know, what he really wanted. And uh, the words of John the Evangelist really came uh, to real clarity in, in yesterday's feast right? when uh, he said of course at the beginning et verbum caro factum est the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us that the word became flesh that you could say the central truth that St. John insisted on and we say that every day when we say the Angelus at noon, and the word became flesh. It's such, a, it's such an important word that we feel that we have to say it every day at noon, and that we meditate on the, on the reality of God becoming, becoming man. And it was, of course, John who wrote those words. And, uh, of course, at Christmas, God comes to dwell among us. He comes for us, and He comes to remain with us. Some people have this impression that God is far away, and that they've kind of been left alone. They can't see God easily, or at least directly. They think that He must not be there, He must not be close. He must be somewhere far off, in a kind of cosmic universe, and that maybe one day they will encounter him. Maybe, maybe. And uh, they think of him sort of in this mysterious space, like like in a spacecraft, right? That that one day they'll be able to go into light speed on this on the spacecraft, kind of like the Millennium Falcon, right? In Star Wars, where they go into into hyperspeed or hyper you know, light speed, right? Remember when when um, Han Solo tells Chewbacca, he says. Hang on to your fur. <laughs> you know, we're going to pop into light speed. And then you can see this image of what it would look like to go into light speed. And there they go into another galaxy or to another you know, distant place. And it's as though there we will be in another world. And there maybe we might find God. But we don't have to go into another universe. We don't have to do that. 
God is right here. He's close to us. The Word became flesh, said St. John. He dwelt amongst us. He is close to us here. Certainly he is close to us here in the Blessed Sacrament, of course. Well, Pope Benedict said this. That he explained it very well in 2006. A question, he said, passes through these 2,000 years of Christian history. Why, why did he do that? Why did God become man? You know, when, when we saw during Christmas the scene of the shepherds running to the stable, running to the manger where our Lord was born, we are told that angels intone over the grotto in Bethlehem, and they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men whom, of, with whom he is well pleased. Glory neces is Deo, et in terra pax hominibus bona voluntatis. Glory to God in the highest. And that's from, of course, uh, also, well, that's actually from St. Luke, right? But uh, we're familiar with that phrase, glory to God in the highest. We're familiar with that phrase because it was used right from the beginning in the liturgy. And then other hymns were added, closely related to the coming of Jesus. And, and then, for example, all the, all the hymns that were used, like the Benedictus of Zechariah, the Magnificat of Our Blessed Mother, after she met... Um, Elizabeth, and then the Nunc Dimittis, you know, now you can let your servant go, by Simeon, when he saw the child Jesus. These were all uh, incorporated into the liturgy. And the glory in excelsis Deo also, especially uh, in the more joyful moments uh, of the Mass. This glory in excelsis Deo is, is a reference to the coming of Jesus among us. That he is close to us, that he is not far away. And uh, Pope Benedict explains that from the second century, this Gloria Nixesis Deo uh, was, was used in the liturgy, and then other phrases were added, you know, like, uh, we praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your immense glory. And then we added, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, who takes away the sins of the world. These are, these are all added in what we know today as the, as the glory to God in the highest. But it starts with that, that beautiful hymn of, of those angels when the incarnation really first took place. And that's why, you know, during, during Advent and during Lent, we don't say the Gloria. We just hold off because we're kind of preparing ourselves to reflect on it. Like during Advent, we didn't say the Gloria until finally uh, Christmas, then we can say the Gloria. The same thing will happen in Lent. For a whole Lent, we can't say the glory until finally uh, Easter Sunday comes. Then, you know, with the resurrection, we can say it. And it's, it's unique. It's a, it's a wonderful occasion to say it with such great joy. But again, we ask that question. That, that famous word, et verbo caro factum est. You know, why did God become a man? Not only a man, but why did he become a child? This, this was a question that some of the fathers of the church asked themselves with great, uh, well, with great depths. You know, St. Irenaeus, for example, he said, the Word made himself a dispenser of the Father's 
glory for the benefit of men. The Word made flesh. He dispensed God's glory. That's why the angels were saying, glory to God in the highest. The glory of God, he said, is the living man, vivens homo, and the life of man consists in the vision of God. If we didn't have the vision of God, it's as though we wouldn't be really truly alive. And the glory of God is manifest, therefore, in the salvation of man, whom God so loved you know, to, to give, as, as St. John says, his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not perish, but have eternal life. That's why he gave us his Son, so that we should not perish, but have eternal life. So, you know, ultimately, the reason for the Incarnation, the reason God became man, was out of love. God's love for us. Whether Jesus is a child, whether he's an adult, he must have that great effect on us. The God we contemplate in the crib, the God that we see on the cross. He must also make us love. And I would say that that John, you know, he really fell in love with the Lord. Being close to the Lord made him strong. It made him deeply understand his own vision as the evangelist, deepened in his mission as a, as a testimony to the truth of the Incarnation. That, you could say that was his whole purpose, to, to testify to the truth of the fact that God became a man, a living being among us. But it also led him to insist very strongly since the Incarnation was all about God's love for us, that we too have to love one another. We have to love one another. We have to be patient with another. We have to care for one another. We have to show affection, warmth, kindness. Hey, for some people, this time of Christmas is, is lonely. It's sad. Maybe because they don't experience that love from others. They feel alone. This is, this is why St. Rosaria insisted that in all the centers of Opus Dei, there be, usually in the study room, there be a, like, a, like a written out sign, or not a sign, but like a parchment or something, with the words of St. John from the New Commandment. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you will love one another. We can love one another because God first loved us through the Incarnation. This is what St. Josemaria says in Forge. I read to you this passage. He says, How very insistent the Apostle St. John was in preaching the Mandatum Novum, the the New Commandment, that we should love one another. I would fall on my knees without putting on any act. But this is what my heart dictates. And I ask you, for the love of God, to love one another. To help one another. To lend one another a hand. To know how to forgive one another. And so, reject all pride. Be compassionate. 
show charity, help each other with prayer and sincere friendship. Those are those are those are good resolutions that we can make for the upcoming, you know, 2022. That that we know how to be compassionate with those around us. That we care about them. That we help them. That we that we serve them. And uh, of course, it all started. All this started ultimately when John was working there on the Lake of Tiberias. This tedious work of cleaning the nets. It was not easy work. He was, uh, you know, he was just a, a worker, right? And God helped him. Well, God helped him. Jesus invited him. Now we know that John was the youngest one, right? But with time, he he grew uh, to be very mature. And how much he must have. Imagine how much he must have loved Jesus. And uh, he really, today, offers us a very powerful incentive to rediscover the person of Jesus, to renew our act of faith in Jesus, so that we can learn how to love. I, I imagine uh, John's love for Jesus. You know, he's the one who leaned his, his head on, on Jesus' breast during the Last Supper. It's just you know, an extraordinary testimony of Jesus that can have the power that Jesus could have had over a man's heart. And uh, it really shows how it is possible to build one's universe around Jesus. His whole universe was around our Lord. And uh, he's able to make one perceive the unique fullness, the unimaginable marvel that is the person of Jesus. And so let us ask for this. Let us dig deeper in the the Gospel of St. John. He'll help us to discover. Because when we read St. John, we'll discover more deeply, we'll discover really more deeply the, the beautiful figure of, uh, of Christ. I'll read to you, I'll finish this time with uh, a beautiful quote that I've always liked from St. John of the Cross, you know, from the 16th century. He said this, he said, Though holy doctors have uncovered many mysteries and wonders, and devout souls have understood them in this earthly condition of ours, yet the greater part still remains to be unfolded by, by them, and even to be understood by them. We must dig deeply in Christ. He is like a, like a rich mine with many pockets containing treasures However deep we dig, we will never find their end or limit. Indeed, in every pocket, new seams of fresh riches are discovered on all sides. So that's what Christ is. He's like a, a, a deep mine. And St. John, the apostle, the evangelist, will help us. You know, the, the rubies, the diamonds, the gold that is our friendship with Jesus Christ and he, he will help us to learn what it really means you know, to love Jesus Christ with all our heart, with all our soul and with all our mind eh? and that we love one another as Christ has loved us our Blessed Mother will help us she'll guide us in this endeavor and she, she spent a lot of time together with St. John so 
know, they must have been very close on the island of Patmos. So she'll intercede for us as well. So as we get to know St. John, we'll get to know Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.